Here on the High Motor Podcast, two weeks removed from the NCAA tournament cancellation, four weeks till the NFL draft. And on today's show, we're going to be talking with Alex Kirshner, Banner Society. And then after him, going to go down to the ACC, talk about Danny Manning in the Wake Forest situation with Connor O'Neill of the Winston Salem Journal. But before we get rolling, a quick note on a new podcast I've been checking out lately. It's called Code Story. If you've ever wondered how products came to life, you know, going from the back of the napkin to a fully functioning product that can change an industry, this is definitely the podcast for you. Weekly interviews from Noah Labhart, who really does a marvelous job in building each interview out as a story. Each episode is built as a story that, honestly, it reminds me of some of the, the biggest podcasts that we've seen in the last few years. It has the same feel as Serial. It has the same feel as S-Town showcasing brilliant people, brilliant ideas. Christopher Slow of Reddit, Cortland Allen, Indie Hackers, a lot of others. Check it out. Code Story with Noah Labhart, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else. Okay, Alex Kirshner, Connor O'Neill on this episode of the High Motor Podcast. Let's fire it up. Alex Kirshner, Banner Society, and Alex, I want to start with a question that, that everyone is is asking right now. We're sitting here in March with, with really nothing to do, kind of just staring, you know, what, five months ahead at the college football season. I'm curious what your confidence level is that the college football season will be played as scheduled this year. Hard to say what the level of confidence is that they'll play or not, but I think the level of confidence that experts will say it's a good idea to play is pretty low at this point, given the rapidly evolving situation that we have and and frankly how little data we have because of the testing shortcomings in the United States it's very hard to envision that a few months from now uh, the Dr. Anthony Fauci's and Susan Burks's of the world are, are going to suggest that it's a good idea to play college football now uh, might some political headwinds in certain parts of the country dictate otherwise and that they go ahead and chance it uh, even if the experts think it's not a good idea I, th- I think that is possible but uh, on the current path that we're on, it, it does seem like it would take a lot of things going um, dramatically better than they are now on, on a pretty quick timeline. Staying under that same realm here, you made an interesting point on Twitter the other day talking about how athletic departments are going to make up that gap in revenue after the canceled tournament. And you were wondering if teams will scrap some of these buy, I think you called them body bag games, and add more uh, notable Power 5 matchups to kind of bump those media dollars. Could you see teams b- even buying out some of those cupcake games soon and replacing them? I mean, saying right now that it, you know it is worth their money to pay the, the six-figure buyout for New Mexico State or, or UConn or whoever, and then trying to, to add a Wisconsin, trying to add an Iowa. Do you see programs going that far, or do you think they're going to wait and kind of see how things play out over the next 6, 8, 12 months? I would guess that they would wait a while and see how things might change because these games are scheduled so far in advance. And if you make these decisions early enough, then you can get out of them without any kind of buyout and and with a little bit more flexibility. And, you know, by the same token, the hit that you take from the loss of NCAA tournament revenue, I think it kind of 
excuse me, it kind of hits you over a period of years because of the way the NCAA tournament units are doled out to different conferences and then down to the teams. So I don't think that you're going to see schools like in the next year or two uh, suddenly trying to completely rejig things. And also to that effect, the the TV contracts that these conferences have expire at different points. You know, some of them expire in the more you know middle part of the decade. Some of them expire in the next year or two. But in some of those cases, they've already renewed for the next several years after that. So I think it'll take a little bit of time for schools to you know, sort through this and make decisions about how to address the shortfall that comes from the NCAA tournament being canceled. Uh, but, you know, the, the far bigger problem for these schools would be if football seasons and, you know, the, the rest of their operations, uh, to say nothing of just campus life in general, uh, were to be interrupted into the fall. I think that that would create a much longer term headache for schools. Looking back at, at something from Banner Society last week in which you guys asked, you said there's 11 different teams that have won a national championship since 2000, you asked who's going to be the 12th team. And some of the answers from your staff, I think, were, were Oregon, A&M, Georgia. I think Washington was in there. And you went Oregon. And even though you wrote, I think, in there that you were almost talking yourself out of that pick, I still want to ask you, kind of going back to that, that confidence level question, what is your confidence level that Oregon will actually win a title anytime soon? And you can use soon however you want, within five years, within, within 10 years, whatever. I think that at some point, Oregon will win a national championship. Uh, I guess we'd have to really be liberal with the definition of soon. Uh, it, you know, it could take could take many years or it could be, you know, I think that they're a team that in the next five or 10 will continue to be sort of in that conversation, maybe more on the periphery of it most years. Uh, but I think that Oregon, for some infrastructural reasons and just how down the Pac-12 is, uh, both including and aside from USC, has a path that is a lot simpler than you know even some better teams might in more difficult conferences. So I think it's possible. Yeah, and the Pac-12 makes for an, an interesting part in that conversation specifically. And something that, that reminds me, Ben Bolch, uh, UCLA writer for the LA Times, he said to me last year during that, that basketball search that he actually thought that the Pac-12 struggle might actually be a selling point for, for some candidates who see an opportunity to come in, kind of take a hold of that conference. And he was specifically talking about basketball, but I think it kind of applies to football too here. So going off of that in football, what do you think the line is between between the, the Pac-12 being bad, that it's ripe for a title run for, for one of the competent programs like Oregon, and or going over to the other side and saying that it's too bad that that no team will be able to make it with that schedule. What do you think the line is there for a team like Oregon to actually do that? I don't think that the schedule is a big problem for Pac-12 teams because, truth be told, the difference in a Pac-12 schedule versus an ACC or, or a Big 12 schedule is not necessarily that big. And obviously it could vary depending on what you do in non-conference. But I think the bigger problem for Pac-12 teams over the long haul is just hiring and retaining coaching talent given the financial disadvantage that they're at compared to especially the Big Ten and soon the SEC, there are going to be competitors that can just offer coaches a lot more money. And we saw that a few weeks ago when Mel Tucker left Colorado after saying he wouldn't for Michigan State. You know, I'm sure Mel Tucker felt very confident that he was going to stay at Colorado where he'd been for a year and where you know things seemed to be going fine. But Michigan State can come in and basically double his salary and not really miss it because they're going to be getting $50 million a year from the Big Ten. Uh, Colorado and, and the rest of the Pac-12 are 
you know, tens of million dollars perhaps behind that. So uh, it, it's just a really challenging financial situation. And I think that uh, is, is a bigger threat over the years to come for the Pac-12 than anything about scheduling or, or anything like that. So you say Mel Tucker. What's your take on, on Mario Cristobal going back to Oregon? He got that extension last year, I think, before all of these cancellations hit. There was a report that, that he was working another extension this year. I don't know if that ever got announced. Correct me if I'm wrong and you saw something differently. What is your take on Cristobal? I mean, do you think that, that Oregon is the premier program that can retain him? Do you think there's any concern that maybe he would want to go back to the state of Florida? I think that he's in a good place at Oregon. And, you know, he's a guy who's been around. He was a head coach in the state of Florida at FIU very early on in his career, was a hot candidate, and then things went very poorly. Um, so he went to Alabama, recruited really well there, was a good offensive line coach there, and eventually found his way um, to Oregon and then became the head coach there. So I think that in a lot of cases, I mean, yeah, that would be a fear. And, you know, you have to worry if you are an under-resourced conference and your best talent might get poached elsewhere. Um, but just because Willie Taggart left for Florida State, I I don't think that that's necessarily a reason to think that Cristobal – given his journey and, and given that he seems to have settled on a, a really good second act for himself here and that he's still in his prime and can still build a lot at Oregon. I don't know that I would, would be expecting or be, you know, even especially wary of him moving on at any point. Now, last week you wrote uh, about all the college basketball teams that could claim a national championship this year using justification from you know football teams over the last decades 100 100 years or so i mean do you think that a program will actually add 2020 national champions to their record books and or hang a banner i'm not talking about like the florida state senate declaring florida state national champions champions this year do you think that a program itself would actually do that in this case this year yeah i do because it only takes one and there are you know maybe a dozen ish that if they really wanted to be uh, aggressive about it, could claim it. I The thing that gives me pause is that Kansas hasn't done it yet and hasn't really indicated that they're going to do it. And I think the most straightforward claim would be Kansas uh, because they were number one in, in the AP and coaches polls when the season was canceled. So I don't know who would do it, but yeah, I think someone will probably do it because, I mean, I think they can look at what UCF did a couple of years ago in football and that annoyed a lot of people, but it, it undoubtedly got a ton of publicity for UCF, and I'm sure they don't regret it at all. So if I were guessing, I would say that at least one school would do it, yes. You don't think there's any, I don't know, delicate piece of this, you know, potentially hanging a banner? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not doing it right Good now, point. but like even a year from now, is there any sort of like sensitive? I don't even know what the right word is. Is there delicate sensitivity? It is delicate, and, and that's a great point, actually, that I hadn't thought of, but it, it is striking, and it, maybe a school would decide to hold off on that because of the circumstances under which the season was canceled. It's a great point. Hey, going back to there was one other football thing I wanted to, to ask you. I guess this could be basketball, too. Going to, to Liberty University, I mean, you've taken some some Falwell-related shots on Twitter. We all have, and I think deservedly so, against him. And I, I, don't, even know if you, I don't think you even have an answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Do you think that other schools say, no, we're not going to schedule Liberty because of Jerry Falwell, because of what he's done. Do you think that exists in college sports? Yes, absolutely. That exists. I think that Liberty would be in a conference if it were not Liberty. Really? So you don't, you don't think it's Liberty, Liberty's choice to be an independent necessarily? Certainly not. No. I mean, I think that Liberty 
preferred to be an FBS independent to an FCS conference, but I do not think that Liberty is an FBS independent scheduling New Mexico State twice a year because they just wanted to do that so badly. Do you think it'll get to a point, I don't think that any schools have have directly come out and said, we're not going to schedule Liberty because of what Liberty is. Do you think it'll get to a point where, I don't want to say Liberty won't be able to exist with athletic programs, do you you think it'll get to a point where schools will actually say, no, we're not going to schedule Liberty, and it becomes a problem for Liberty trying to fill their, let's say, football schedule? I'm not sure that schools would ever uh, get into that kind of firestorm publicly by being so explicit about it, but... Uh, I think it is obvious that there are plenty of conferences, athletic directors around the country uh, who prefer not to have the association. All right. That's Alex Kirshner on Twitter at Alex underscore Kirshner online at BannerSociety.com. Hey, Alex, thanks. uh, Thanks for the time. Great to have you on and take care this week. Yeah, pleasure to be on with you. Thanks for having me. of the Winston-Salem Journal. And Connor, when I asked if you were available a few days ago, you said absolutely, but you warned if news were to drop on Danny Manning, you'd have to take it. And we're talking here Wednesday morning, Wednesday, March 25th. So far, no news on Danny Manning, whether he's for sure back or whether he he will be fired. And I want to start this conversation with, with the contract itself. He signed that extension early on the 2017-18 season. I think it was announced in November of 2017. And first off, since this contract isn't public, you know, what is your understanding of it? Do you know any of the details, the terms, the buyout, any of that for it? All of it is basically off of reports that have never been confirmed or denied by Wake Forest. Ron Wellman, the former AD, had a strict policy that contracts were not discussed. I mean, it's almost like they don't exist in the public view, which is unfortunate because transparency would go a long way, especially right now. Jeff Goodman reported uh, when the deal was announced, ran through the 2024 season. And that's kind of the detail that's been a report that I feel the most confident in. It, It makes sense. Through talking to other people around the program, it seems like that number is is pretty concrete and and solid. Not this past season, but the season before, when they lost to Houston Baptist, and and arguably the worst loss of of an entire decade of bad losses, seemingly popping up every season. Goodman put out another report that said it was an eighteen million dollar buyout, fully guaranteed, which basically means Danny is entitled to to every penny on the deal through the 2024-25 season. That's something that it's it's argued back and forth constantly among Wake fans and on their message boards, the validity of fully guaranteed, the validity of $18 million buyout, um, which theoretically goes down by $3 million after every completed season. So right now it would be $15. I've, I've kind of... I've kind of taken to looking at the buyout number as my white whale. I'm just, I'm never going to run it down. I'm never going to be able to to lock down uh, a specific number. I've had, I've had so many other numbers thrown at me that it just gets exhausting and you don't know what is true and what's not. And nobody really knows well, the so answer. Even if he's fired, would we even know? Let's say he's fired this afternoon. Would we even know the buyout? How Nothing would change, would it? No. Yeah, uh, no, we wouldn't know. We you always leave open the possibility that one of the national guys can break it because those guys are are a little more dialed in with the agents. 
and the agents are the ones that seem to be, uh, in my, in my experience and talking to other people, they seem to be the ones to put out the contract information a little more willingly than the schools. So maybe we would find out that way, but I mean, I can ask as, as much as I want. I just know that I'm probably never going to get a straight answer on that. So let's say that we're just assuming that it is a fully guaranteed deal. Let's assume that that $15 million buyout is there fully guaranteed. Why do you think that that Ron Wellman, again, like you said, former AD Ron Wellman, why do you think he made that deal? Was Manning actually, was he worried that Manning was going to leave a few years ago? Man, that's a, that's a question that I've struggled to wrap my head around. It was, it was an extension that, you know, they didn't, Sign and, and fully announced until late November of 2017. And the, the timing of it couldn't have been worse from the start because Wake in 2017 got off to the worst start in a, in a season in like 50 or 60 years. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but you know, they were, I think they were two and four at the time the extension was announced. And that was after a win against uh, actually a UNCG team that ended up going to the NCAA tournament later that season. But it was a one and four team with losses to Georgia Southern, uh, Liberty, and Drake. The timing of it was awful, but it was a deal that was agreed upon back in after the after the 2017 season ended, which is when Wake, you know, goes to the first four. They had a 19 win season. They had John Collins. They had Dino Smitaglu. They had they had all this success relative to the previous six years, four of which under Jeff Lizdelic were just abysmal. And then the first two under Danny were pretty terrible in their own regard. And so when you start thinking of, okay, they were, they were so happy to be out of the dark ages of the Bizdelic tenure. And they were so happy that it looked like Danny Manning had turned a corner. It looked like, you know, he took John Collins, who was, I think, maybe a borderline top 200 recruit. And in two years, turned him into one of the top players in the ACC and the top 20 pick. And you think that, okay, this guy's going to develop big men. He's, he's got the Kansas pedigree. He's a young coach, but he's finding his way. Maybe, you know, I, I'm trying to make excuses for, it sounds like I'm trying to make excuses for Ron Wellman and the deal that he made. I'm, I'm not, but I just, I try to put myself in, in the position of that time period. And I can start to make a little bit of rhyme or reason out of it. The other thing that, that only dawned on me recently was around uh, about a month or two before the extension was announced was when all the, all the NCAA scandal, Adidas connections were, were really hitting the fan. And it looked like Kansas might be out of their coach by the end of the year. It looked like Bill Self was kind of on the chopping block there. And, you know, the, the FBI is promising they've got tons and tons of tape and wiretaps and and you don't know if Bill Self is going to be the coach. Well, if if you're looking around the college ranks and you're looking at Bill Self's coaching tree and you're looking at one of the most decorated players in Kansas basketball history is a coach who just turned around an ACC program in three years, maybe you start to worry then. And so maybe you want to protect yourself and throw in some some clauses to a contract that you're giving to Danny Manning and I think that's where that's that's another factor that can't be ignored when you think about why this deal was made in the first place. Do you think that this is purely a money question? Well, so let's say that Manning's buyout right now is fifteen million dollars. If it was 
I don't know, four or five million dollars, four, five, six million dollars in that range. Do you think that he would be gone today? Yeah. Yeah, I do. What do you think that number is for, for Wake? And I know you're just purely speculating here, but do you think that there's a tipping point for them? Is it because it's over 10? Do they want it down to five or six? What do you think that number is that, that they're trying to chase, I guess? I think just, just as a baseline, maybe they're trying to get it under 10. You know, it's difficult to say with all the coronavirus, too. I mean, you know, you're 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 looking at a very real possibility that, Two and a half weeks ago, it was it was the decision was made. You were going to fire Danny Manning after whenever they lost in the ACC tournament. Maybe you were going to wait until until the Monday after to respect the tournament. But you're and and you've got you've got money contributions lined up to pay it, and all of a sudden the coronavirus shuts down everything in a domino effect, and all of a sudden your your donors that you were going to go to and ask for money. You know they're they're not exactly worrying about paying anywhere from from five million to ten million dollars to get rid of a basketball coach. And now with with Wellman gone, John Curry uh, year two there as an AD. I know we're kind of getting we were kind of getting far down this road because a change hasn't even been made yet, obviously. But is there any inclination from you which direction Curry you know might go for this program as a re, as a replacement? Is he looking? You know, at Pat Kelsey, is he going to shoot higher than that? Any idea of what direction he might go, whether that's this year or next year or in two years? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I do think that whatever whatever percentage or whatever hit the buyout takes is going to play a factor because if if it's not a money issue, then you can go out and get a John Belon or get a Thad Mata or or you know get Shaka Smart. Um, he turned Wake down six years ago and things haven't exactly worked out for the, for the best in Texas. And if he's looking to get back to the East coast and get back to this region, uh, that seemed like it would be a perfect fit. Um, but if it is a money issue, then you might have to delve back into the mid major ranks and you might have to go try to, I, I hesitate to say lowball somebody because, it's tough to be an ACC basketball program and, and offer people below market value contracts, but, you know, try to find yourself a hungry mid-major coach uh, like a Pat Kelsey, like you mentioned, or, or a Wes Miller or the Steve Forbes at ETSU, um, Bob Ritchie at Furman. Uh, it doesn't have to be just somebody from the SOCON, but, but you know what I'm, what I'm saying is like, go get somebody you can, pay 1.75 or 2 million a year uh somebody that's not a that's not a beeline or mata that's going to command probably 3 or 4 million a year and roll the dice again on a mid-major coach and if it works out then then great you've you know the 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 whole dynamic here too is that if you hire a young and up and coming mid-major coach and it works out you know you've got somebody set up for taking on the the mantle per se when Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams retire down the road. And, you know, that could be any time in the next 10 to 15 years. That can be any time as soon as, you know, three or four years from now, who knows? So where, where you're, where you're looking at really setting up Wake Forest for long-term success, I think also going the mid-major route and going and, and rolling the dice on, somebody a little unproven could pay off in the long run. 
One one last question for you, kind of under this same umbrella, I guess, but on the football side at Wake Forest and looking at Dave Clawson, now 30 wins last four years and only happened one other time in program history over a four-year stretch. He is routinely mentioned for other jobs, whether or not that's actual interest or speculation, we don't really know. He signed that extension, I think it was last spring. Do you get the, the sense that there's any real concern that Dave Clawson could leave, or, or is he a wait guy for, for as long as he wants to be there? I think there's there's moderate concern. I think the heat on his name would have been a lot greater if they had been able to finish the season the way that they thought they could. Um, injuries really derailed them from having a a 10-win season and, and vaulting themselves into – you know, the same stratosphere that NC State and Syracuse have been in in the Atlantic Division in the last couple of years. So I think that that as long as Wake stays in the seven to eight win range and barely scrapes through to get a tier one bowl, there's not much concern about him leaving. I mean, it, it is that's the well-oiled machine at Wake. Um, that football program clicks along. They bring in these recruiting classes that nobody gets overly excited about. And then, you know, all of a sudden in, in two or three years of having those guys on campus, there are a couple NFL players on it. That's going to translate to somebody at some point. Uh, some athletic director is going to get smart and, and really seriously look at Dave. And, and that's where it's going to come down to how much Dave likes Wake Forest, how much he appreciates the facilities that they've got for him. And, He'll have a tough decision to make. That's Connor O'Neill, Winston-Salem Journal on Twitter, at Connor O'Neill WSJ. Give him a follow as as he awaits a return or some sort of announcement for Danny Manning for Wake Forest Basketball. Hey, Connor, thanks for the insight. Uh, thanks for the time, and take care. Yeah, thank you, Andrew.
I've lost my way.